I'm going to read a scripture that um, it's probably, uh, it's too much to say every year, but I would say more often than not, I come back to this scripture before the new year. It's Colossians 3, 1 to 17. I'm going to read it, and it is a really, really good section of scripture. I commend it to you if you're in a rut, read through Colossians. If you are looking for a passage to memorize and you have option paralysis, choose this one. It's really, really rich and deep and excellent, and I just want to share some reflections coming out of it this morning. So Colossians 3, verses 1 to 17. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things, for you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life that you once lived, but now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge and the image of its creator. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. And therefore as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If you have any grievances against someone, forgive just as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace, and be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. I am, this is a time of year I always get sucked into the New Year's resolution ambition stuff, and I've learned to temper my overly zealous ambition. I used to write like 25 goals for each dimension of my life and they were patently ridiculous and now I've kind of scaled that back. But in the last few years, in having, after having a conversation with a pastor friend of mine, he just commended this practice to me, which is instead of going into the new year and <clears throat> however well-intended, and I don't, I, don't, I don't want to send the signal that this is wrong or bad or anything, um, but instead of entering the new year from a posture of willfulness and motivational chutzpah, here we go, okay, I get clarity, I'm going to summon the resources of my will, I'm going to make changes here. He invited me to think about the importance of inviting God to put to death in me the things that need to be put to death this year and to bring to life the things, that need, things in me that need to be brought to life. 
right? You start on a completely different posture. It's not self-centered. It's God-centered. And it's still very aspirational and ambitious, but not through the lens of my own goals, which certainly might, might align with God's glory, but they could also not. They could just be out of my own fleshly desire for comfort or ease or advancement in a certain area of my life. And so what I've been doing the last number of years, and probably not just this time of year, at different times, is I come back to this prayer. God, put to death in me the things that need to die and bring to life in me the things that need to be brought to life. And that's what I find myself thinking through as I move towards 2020, which I know sounds like the future. Now, when we talk about dying and rising, I would say these are two fundamental patterns and expectations that you should have for the Christian life. And I understand those words are very loaded and they can come across as quite extreme, but they will make sense if you understand that your life and its totality belongs to Jesus. In Colossians 3 verse 4, Paul says, when Christ, who is your life, appears. So if you're a Christian, it doesn't just mean that you've adopted some um, religious beliefs in a corner of your life. It's that you have surrendered your entire life to Jesus. You've entered into a kind of a spiritual marriage and now you're learning to bring glory and honor to Jesus in all things and to live in him and through him and for him. And so this is a serious call. And so when we're inviting God to do this heart surgery in our lives, we're, what we're not saying is, okay, God, um, put in me a, a new motivation to like, yeah, for sure, I'm gonna like read my Bible more, I'm gonna pray more. And it's not necessarily those outward expressions of faith. We're actually asking God to go deeper and say, if I haven't been diligent, let's say, in reading scripture, in prayer, in not just church attendance, but church engagement, beyond just having me do those things more, can you show me at the heart level what's running interference in my movement into those things? Would you put to death in me the things that are preventing those things? And would you bring to life a new hunger and passion for these things? Because I don't want to just move into these disciplines through a sense of duty I want to be captured by the beauty of who you are and I want that to be my motivation and my aim. Genuine Christianity is a process of following Jesus that involves a fairly consistent rhythm of dying and rising. We're allowing God to put to death things that need to be put to death in us. We cooperate with God in that, hopefully, so that God can bring new things to life. Now, there are two alternatives to this. The first alternative is that we can die without rising. And that is lifeless Christianity. And at the risk of being stereotypical, if some of you come from a very, let's say, a very conservative, very religiously legalistic background, this might have been the message that you would have heard um, and certainly would have been driven kind of into your bones that one of the, the big points of Christianity is to die to sin and to bad things. And that is certainly true. But when that is the only message that we hear, we kind of have this lopsided view of faith. And Dallas Willard calls it, we end up developing a gospel of sin management where the greatest good we do is just to not sin. And the greatest victories in life are simply about God removing certain besetting sins from our life. 
But the gospel isn't just about dying to patterns and practices and attitudes and postures which are destructive. It's about dying to ourselves and to our own agenda and to those things so that an entirely new kind of life can emerge. And religion or different expressions of faith that see the goal of everything kind of at the bottom line is dying to sin uh, tends to be very legalistic, very rigid, right? You can end up seeing the Bible as basically a big book of don'ts, rules and regulations. You may tend to inadvertently develop a view of God where God is kind of sitting at the ready, ready to pounce and catch you in being bad because the most important thing to God is catching you in bad or sinful things instead of realizing that God is a loving father who wants to lead us out of destructive patterns so that we can deepen our connection with him, with each other, with our purposes in the world, where there can be a real depth of meaning and integrity, fundamental um, integratedness in the interiority of who we are and that that spills out into the world. In Philippians 3, the Apostle Paul says, listen, if anyone thinks they have more reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin. I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. With regard to the law, I was a Pharisee. As for zeal, I persecuted the church. As for legalistic righteousness, I was faultless. But whatever was to my profit, and what he's saying is whatever all of that um, religious conformity, however that did profit me, and it did, it gave me certain advantages and and certain status, he says, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. And he goes on to say, I want to know Christ. And that's important because it's very possible to be a good, sincere, religious, moral, ethical person and completely miss the Christ of Christianity. Because Christianity isn't fundamentally a religious system, it is a relationship. And in that relationship, we recognize that there's more to any relationship than just not doing things you shouldn't be doing, right? As a father, I want more from my relationship with my children than simply to say, my children um, simply don't disobey me, right? Because they can follow my rules, they could with regard to legalistic righteousness in terms of things that I tell them to do, they could do it, but there can still obvious, obviously be a lack of connect, connection. There can be a lack of love. There can, lack, there can be a lack of new life. It can just be a home that is dour and demure. And we might be able to say, hey, you know what? Um, yeah, not a lot of bad things happen here, but there's not a lot of life as well. And so dying without rising is lifeless Christianity, and it's not what God wants for any of us. Now, the second option is just as destructive, I would say, and it is an emphasis that says Christianity is about rising without dying. And this is false life Christianity. So this is, I mean, in its extreme form, this would be the prosperity gospel, that what you should expect when you hand your life over to God is just upward mobility across every dimension of your life, economically, relationally, social status, health. There's just gonna be an upward curve of prosperity because God is good, God is good all the time. God's goodness is reflected in blessing. 
one of the blessings is material blessings, and blessings just generally are about making your life go better. So if I'm following God, at least faithfully, won't everything just get better and better and better? That's kind of the, the shorthand reasoning. So it sees the point of Christianity and what God is doing in our lives is to always be rising, lifting us up, taking us to a new place, enhancing our life. But I think if you read the Bible honestly and if you just reflect on your own journey honestly, like eyes wide open, you're gonna say, that is not the pattern of the Christian journey. That's not what I should expect. If you've been influenced by prosperity or more self-help type teachers, that will be your assumption. God is awesome because he wants to give you an awesome life. And the Bible's great because it gives you tips and tricks on how to enter into that awesome life here and now. And Jesus is awesome because he will help me um, discover, clarify, and then take hold of my goals. And that's awesome. Who doesn't want like a supernatural cheerleader in their corner? And so you get this gospel, this good news that what God offers us in Jesus is all rising, no dying. No sacrifice, no hardship, no suffering. It's just going to be going from bigger to better. And then if we don't go from bigger to better, the onus gets put back on you and the not-so-subtle message that gets sent is, well, God wants your life to be experienced as bigger and better, but it's not, so that must be a problem on your end. You must not have enough faith. You must be walking out of step with the Spirit. And yet we see in Scripture, again and again, God leads people that he loves into situations and into valleys of deep darkness for his glory and for grander purposes that they can't see in the moment. So any spirituality that is couched in this idea that we don't need to die, we just need to rise, I actually think it keeps us from coming to know Christ. Because in Philippians 3, when Paul says, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection, he goes on to say, and to know him in his sufferings. There's a dimension to your faith and to my faith, to our relationship with Jesus, that you will not know, you cannot know until you move through times of suffering. And you know that for all your relationships. In friendships, whether it's a close friendship or a marriage or parent-child, there are just dimensions of your relationship that you cannot build and deepen. It's impossible if things are just always going well and things are always comfortable. But suffering and hardship focuses us into um, new depths of relationship. We learn to walk with one another and we learn to cling to Christ in a way and draw upon his strength and grace in a way that we um, don't when things are going really, really well. And the other pattern that this idea that we can just keep rising and rising and everything just gets better and better, the, the other pattern that you know, is right in front of us in the biblical witness and in life is that dying always precedes rising. There's, just, there's no area of life where things just get better and better and better. And certainly in the spiritual journey, if, again, if you pay attention to it, what you'll notice is that God will often be doing a work long before he brings something new within you or into your life, and there's a loosening of something else that has to be let go of. Maybe it's a mindset, could be posture of the heart, it could be literally something external like a job or um, a, a 
rhythm, a habit that you've built in your life? Now, I'll be the first to say, I would prefer rising with no dying, but that isn't the way that spiritual growth works. In 1 Corinthians, Paul says, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. Jesus in John 12 says, I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a seed, but if it dies, it produces many seeds. If anyone does not, anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. I finished a, a book yesterday called Rules for a Night by Ethan Hawke. He's an author, but most of you probably know him from movies. And it's a fictional book that has a set in the medieval period where a grandfather, no, a father is writing letters to his children because he doesn't believe he's going to survive an upcoming battle. And he's writing to his children to say, these are the virtues that you need to um, instill in your life and heart uh, and to grow up to be the children that I I want you to be. Uh, And it's pretty good, but there's a really, really great quote that he inserts as it relates to suffering. He's got a, they're kind of little vignettes. They're quite small. Um, But he's got this great reflection where he says, writing to his children, don't fear suffering. The strongest steel is forged in the hottest fire. The facts are always friendly. And without a little agony, none of us would bother to learn a thing. The earth has to be tilled before the seeds can be planted. And in much the same way, sometimes we have to be stirred and ripped apart so that the seeds of compassion, wisdom, and understanding can be firmly planted in us. Genuine Christianity involves both dying and rising. As we follow Jesus, he graciously will invite us and give us power to cooperate with him to put to death practices that are holding us back and pulling us down. But he also instills new passions and new talents and new gifts and new opportunities to grow and to love and to serve. And so at any given point, if you hit the pause button on your life, you, you, can, you can sort of sense this, right? You say, yeah, I really feel like God's been doing work over here in my life, if you've been paying attention. And I'm like the kid at Christmas who's like, I just, I really want to hold on to this toy. <laughs> I don't want to give this up. And God will patiently move us through that so that we can have something richer and deeper. Now, I know that dying and rising in the Christian life, that can sound very, very conceptual. So I just want to lead you into a practice that I have found fruitful in my life and that I would encourage you to at least try this year. Can't hurt. You can do this alongside goal planning and whatever other high-octane visionary stuff you want to do. Um, But I want us to use our discipleship model as a way to pray through this invitation to die and to rise and to invite God to do a work in us. So every church has a discipleship model, whether they say it or not. It's the way that a pastor answers the question, what does it mean to follow Jesus practically? Like, what are the expectations? And ours is based on the great commandment, where Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. This church believes in a comprehensive, holistic vision for discipleship. We think that that's what Jesus is getting at and driving at when he says heart, soul, mind, and strength. He's not thinking of quadrants of the personality. He's just simply saying with every part of who you are, 
Learn to love God and love your neighbor. That's the journey that brings God glory and your neighbor good. And but what I do, instead of keeping that at, at a very high conceptual level, because even saying something like, honor Jesus with your whole life. Okay, where do I start? What does that mean? I've kind of just pull it down where each of those words become a shorthand for a category or dimension of our lives. So to love God with all of our hearts is to love him in and through relationships in our lives, right? First Peter talks about loving one another. And even though we have, we do love one another, to, one, um, to love one another deeply from the, from the heart, there's this emphasis on deep connection and care and, and burden-bearing cooperation amongst each other. Soul is the dimension of prayer and solitude or interiority, learning to cultivate rich times of connection to God one-on-one in the secret place. We read that Jesus often withdrew to lonely places or deserted places to pray, and that's a practice that we need to be um, engaging in if we want to nurture that deep connection with Christ. Mind is to grow in biblical knowledge and wisdom so that our mind is governed not by the flesh and our own self-serving desires, but that our, um, God is bringing to life new desires. And it's being governed by the Spirit. And it's full of life and peace. And strength is the dimension of life through which we serve and give. Jesus called together his disciples. This is one of the first recorded holy huddles. And he says, listen, you guys know that the Gentiles lord it over them. The rulers of the Gentiles lord it over those they, they, um, they lead. And their high officials exercise authority over them, but not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave. And interestingly, you can even see these dimensions of heart, soul, mind, and strength, relationships, prayer, scripture and Christian worldview and serving in the passage that we looked at this morning, Colossians 3, right? Look at this first one, heart. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you have against each other. Forgive as the Lord forgave you and over all these virtues put on love, which binds them together in perfect unity. Develop your heart for one another. And then... Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Since as members of one body, you were called to peace and be thankful, right? Prayerfulness and gratitude, two major pillars of a healthy soul. Cultivate that kind of interior attitude. And then let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom and sing psalms, hymns, spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Let the gospel, the truths of God, dwell in your heart, transform your mind. And then strength, and whatever you do, whether in word or deed, in Corinthians, Paul's gonna say, uh, whether you eat or drink, in, in the most mundane parts of life, to the most, from your vantage point, significant, and everything in between, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So my challenge and encouragement to myself first and then to you is as we move into the new year, I would encourage you to take some time and just write down heart, soul, mind, and strength, relationships, prayer life, engagement with God's word and serving and giving. 
and to ask God maybe several times over the next week, God, in this area of my life, what needs to be put to death? What are you calling me to let go of that is no longer allowing me to serve you wholeheartedly? Maybe it's something that's been on my radar. Maybe it's something that God's going to bring to the forefront of my attention, seemingly out of nowhere. But Holy Spirit, I give you that permission to do that. Please, create in me a pure heart. Show me what needs to die. And what things need to be brought to life. I've got, I've got some goals, God. I think they're good. I have some aspirations for the year ahead. Um, I've got some commitments that I currently have that just are going to carry on on January 1st. But is there something new that you want to do in and through me? Because I don't want to just busy myself with good things and just kind of bury the voice of your spirit if you're wanting to bring something to life in me that really needs to be brought to life. What is that, God? And maybe you'll have one thing for each area. Maybe you'll have nothing. Maybe you'll have a word. Maybe it'll be a whole bunch of things in a certain area. There's no right or wrong answer. It's just a process of getting honest with God and getting before God and saying, God, I want to die to the things that are no longer of you in my life. And I want you to bring to life um, the things that need to be brought to life because I want more of you. I want to continue to grow in my capacity to love and serve you, love and serve my neighbor well, and fulfill your promises. Genuine Christianity is a faith that involves both dying and rising. Don't settle for dying without rising. That's lifeless Christianity. And don't be fooled by thinking that Christianity is rising without dying. Let Jesus move you into genuine Christianity where he pulls and burns away that which is no longer of him and, um, and plants new vision, new passions, new opportunities that you couldn't do yourself but that he will provide you as a gift. Let's pray. Jesus, we're not even entering into a new year. We're entering into a new decade. And that has a certain weight to it. And I pray that we would take time this week individually to seek your face. And that we would invite you by your spirit and by your word to do a heart surgery in us in a way that only you can, in a way that we'll be able to hear through grace and love, but also truth, God. And that you would just burn away any chaff and dross and instill in us a right spirit and a right heart. We love you, and I want this year to be a year where I grow in my devotion to you and my faithfulness to you and to your mission, and I want our church to do that as well. But I want that to come from a deep place of renewal in you, not just behavioral conformity. Um, I don't want it to be willful on our parts. I want you to, to do a work in us so that our growth comes from a natural Um, a supernatural place in you. I pray and ask this in your mighty name. Amen. I invite you to stand and we'll sing our final song.